keep my hand on it because I'm bored. <laughs> when he's dead, I'm an alcoholic. What's a misfit for the society? Does that sound right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm an overqualified drunkard. Once a bartender and a bar drinker. Does anybody here was a bar drinker? Oh, that's not bad. My experience in drunkenness gives me the authority to be your speaker tonight and authority on the disease of alcoholism. I was once lost by grace and uh, I was led into AA by a lot of different angels. I'm going to try to keep count, but uh, way more than you can imagine. There might be an angel sitting next to you here tonight. I know of one. She's <laughs> yeah. I was invited here to the gallery to share my story. It's a long story because I'm old. But I love to carry the message. You may uh, actually learn something from what I have to say tonight. Uh, it seems crazy, but one drunk talking to other drunks are the same, and we all stay sober, and that's the miracle of AA. Somehow, I don't believe I'm at fault. I don't believe that uh, my alcoholism, I, I got through an imaginary line or drinking too much because when I, at the age of 15, when I took my, my very first drink, I knew that instant that something was wrong. I quickly learned that I had to keep drinking once I the compulsion was there and I couldn't stop when I was a teenager they used to bring me home dump me on the front lawn and then they'd go on home I'd wake up and I'd go looking for another drink or a friend that might have one and so I had the genes my brother's here with me tonight he had the genes. He drank 50 years. He's been sober, I think, five years. Our dad died of acute alcoholism at 49. And I can go back in uh, our family line all the way to Scotland, long accustomed to whiskey, drinking whiskey, making whiskey. <laughs> And when they came to America, our stills abounded in uh, Old Cop County, Tennessee. We supplied all of New York and half of Chicago in good shine during the prohibition. Prohibition years. Prohibition, I can't say that. We were moonshiners. I believe you can still buy good shine in Tennessee yet today. Betty and I actually transported some back ourselves one time over there. 
Many, I think, most people in our society uh, don't believe it is a disease. And that's the mistake I made in the beginning. There may be some of you in this hall tonight or that don't believe it's a disease. You may think you can get over it and go out and drink again someday sober, uh, normal. And that's impossible. I, it took me a while to learn that. But I hope you learn it pretty darn quick or you'll be in trouble. We can and do lead one another once we get to AA. By example, that we're all on this uh, AA journey together, sharing our stories in meetings like this, speaker meetings or regular meetings, and uh, we share our love. And we pray for one another. We do 12-step work. And today I personally believe that God catches, we catch God's eye somehow and sends people, I call them angels, to rescue us. I definitely believe He works through people. This is often called prevenient grace, the period that precedes our exercising of faith. Is predestined by God, or sometimes called resisting grace. This can release us. This program can release us from our bondage of alcoholism. It's the instrument which draws us to God and away from the bottle, actually from our old self. In my case, God performed this through many people. One is here tonight. He did it to a gangster, a wife, and a one-eyed wino, a neighbor, and many, many others. And I must warn you at times while speaking about my miracle, from darkness to light, talking about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous or about my street life, uh, it might get a little emotional. Now, I've cried probably in front of bigger groups than this. It's embarrassing to me, and it might be a little embarrassing to you, and it's not hanging out of my nose. <laughs> I've cried in front of men at the Federal Maximum Security at USP Atwater Penitentiary. And, uh, I, I once tried at the Bakersfield Convention, and Betty was there at the old timers meeting. I got so bad there that day, they almost had to relieve me. Well, finally, somebody was, they came up and hugged me, and a couple of guys supported me, and I was just about to go to pieces, and, and finally come out of it and was able to finish. But sometimes it comes over me before I realize it, and it's, uh, God allows it, and nothing you can do about it. And so I just wanted to warn you. After I got out of the Army, I drunk myself into, uh, uh, 
niche in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And uh, I don't know if none of you know about the Tenderloin. It's, uh, it's for people just exactly like us, lost sheep. The mixture of lost sheep, alcoholics, drug addicts, bee girls, bartenders, merchant marines, and a few gangsters thrown in just to make it interesting. They all have living problems and all have drinking problems. Or they did, unless they found what I did. I started out in the center line. I don't know, I got out of the army and I got thrown in jail within 24 hours and then somebody told me to go over and and talk to this girl at the comeback club. She might be able to get me a, a job or a drink because I was, they, they got all my money. Somebody rolled me. So uh, I went around there for a while and then went back. And I lived off of her and a guy named uh, Eddie for a while. And then finally they got me into the bartender's union. It was a pretty good union, that San Francisco union. And uh, uh, I got a job as a pickup bartender at the old comeback club on Ellis Street near Jones if any of you have ever been there. There was a guy in those days that was uh, highly respected in the tenderloin. He was highly respected against all the other hustlers and gypsies, ex-cons of our niche. His name was Cherokee. That was his nickname. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember what his real name was. But he was considered the king of the the tenderloin at that time. I met Cherokee when he came to the bar one night, and uh, he flopped down on the stool about two thirds drunk, three quarters drunk. He pulled out a big pistol. It looked like it was about that long. He slammed it on the bar, and everybody in the place, you can imagine, they got nervous. So the bar, the bar owner, Marie, she says, you got to get a gun away from him. He's an ex-con, and, he, and if that gun goes off in here, we're, she said, I'll have to call the cops, and it's going to be a mess. So I went down and talked to him for a while, and he finally allowed me to put the gun in the in the drawer behind the bar. And so we, Cherokee and I, become friends. For that little incident, for somebody didn't get killed. Angel, uh, Cherokee became my number one angel. I'm sure he was sent to me by God. One day he uh, hit me up on the street and uh, I was sitting in the doorway and uh, he took me into a job joined on Eddie uh, Street. It was the old Red Robin. And he says, Ted, I've been watching your action. 
He says, you're going to get yourself killed. He says, you remind me of myself when I was about your age. And he went on to tell me that he got in a fight and killed a man and he went to prison when he was about 25, about my age. He says, I suggest you pack it up and get out of this this tenderloin before you hurt someone else or yourself. He said, you're going to end up ruining your life. Now, I don't usually take advice from anybody, not even my wife. But for some reason, I left the tenderloin. I did take his advice. And on my return to my hometown, which was Fresno, I met a pretty hot chick named Betty. She's here with us tonight. I went out a few times with her in June of 63, is that right? And then uh, we married uh, September 10th, 1963. That's 48 years ago, right, Betty? Stand up. This is my wife. This is the second angel of my life. So now I, I started I started trying for the first time in my life really trying to stop drinking and uh, after we got married and what had happened is it turned from daily drinking to periodic drinking. Is there any periodic drugs here? I struggled with that for eight years after we got married. And uh binge drinking. They said she could always tell when I was about to have a drink, as you could tell before I did. I think you take the drink in your head before you ever take the drink. And uh, I, I, I get on some long vendors. They weren't really long, five days, four days. But I, I didn't really sleep when I drank. I don't know what it was, but... Uh, well, sometimes we used to take those bins and drink at us, but even alcohol, it would, uh, I couldn't sleep when I was drinking. And uh, so I'd sleep in my car or in a bar. Usually I slept in the bar with my head down. And uh, anyway, I, somehow I got put two drunks together. I, I was... I had been on one drunk, and I'd been sober maybe 24 hours, and this buddy come by and wanted some money he was drinking. And so I said, well, I'll go with you and write a check. And so I got on another drunk, and they were back to back, and it had been a long, say, two weeks, you know. And I'm sitting at the end of the bar at the old blue front, and uh, this uh, real beautiful girl comes up and sits down with me and next to my stool. Now, I haven't taken a shower or shave probably in two weeks. So, you know, I look really good. And she says, can I buy you a drink? And I said, sure. Because I've been nursing this drink for hours, you know, so they wouldn't throw me out of the bar. I didn't have any more money. And she says, well, the bartender told me you were alcoholic. My husband's an alcoholic, and I've come to you for some advice, to tell you the truth. And this become angel number, number three. And uh, what I told her 
was, uh, you know, I, uh, I think what you need to do is go to, uh, go to AA. I've heard AA. Some years before that, uh, I met a guy in the drunk tank, a one-eyed guy named One-Eyed George, and One-Eyed George and I would have little meetings, like dating meetings together. We'd sit on the floor of the drunk tank and tell our stories of despair to each other. And he said, you know, Ted, he says, when you get out of here, you ought to go to AA. So I think what had happened that night with the angel in the blue front was I was remembering what One-Eyed George had told me. So I went home that night, and Betty and I called AA, and I went to my next, my, he, Al D. come out to the house and gave me some orange juice and honey, and, and the next thing I know, I'm going to an AA meeting. Well, I didn't get sober right away, I'll tell you that. There was a lot of guys in that first meeting and welcoming committee that I'd known from the bars, and I think that helped me stick around. And uh, I'd always wondered what happened to those guys. You know, I'd missed them in the bars, and they'd been going to AA. So I stuck around. Many nights went to a lot of AA conventions, and we had a good time. Betty was in Al-Anon, and the kids were in sort of in Alatine halfway. We'd go to the Palm Spring Roundup and the Southern California conventions, and I, I was working on the railroad by then. And so I kept sticking around, but I couldn't stay sober. I couldn't get past that disease of alcohol problem. I didn't really believe it was a disease. I thought after I could stay sober six months or a year, I'd be all right. One time I was sober 18 months, and I went up to see a friend who was getting out of the federal penitentiary for bank robbery, and and uh, he went into a bar to borrow a car, car keys from his uncle so he could go somewhere. And he didn't come out and didn't come out, and I went in there, and he was drinking. So what are you doing, Eddie? We're supposed to be getting sober. And hey, hey, next thing I know, I order a double scotch and off I am. I'll tell you. One night I was in a speaker meeting in Fresno. We used to have speaker meetings like this. And uh, we'd get guys from all over the state. And a guy by the name of Bob Zero came in give his spiritual talk. And he's, uh, he's about my age, but he got a beard, kind of scruffy-looking guy. He's been a heroin addict. And he tells the story that I'm about to tell you. He said there was a, a, a believer and an agnostic talking about uh, discussing God. And the believer said to the agnostic, he says, well, why don't you believe, man? Why don't you believe? Tell me why. He said, I'll tell you why. He said, uh, I was in a terrible storm in Alaska one time, and I got lost. And it was freezing cold, and I was freezing to death. I was actually dying. So I thought, I'll try this guy. 
He said, I dropped to my knees and I prayed. I prayed and I prayed for a way to get out of there and I asked God to help me. And he says, well, you must believe. The believer says, you must believe, man. You're here to tell this damn story. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. Some little Eskimo come along and showed me the way home. And it was from that story that Bob Earl told that night that I kind of started to think about God and all the people that he started to put in my life. All the different angels. Sometimes he works through other alcoholics or normies. Sometimes Christians or people with strong faith like my wife. And they'll work in very mysterious ways that you wouldn't believe. And then you look at the 12 steps and you start to get rid of some of your selfishness and begin to understand how and why we're sober. Now my mighty beginning in AA was not far from perfect. I probably had five slips in three years from 19... I come, I come in there that time in December 1968, wasn't it? And um, I had five slips between 68 and 71. But even the newest of newcomers can find rewards as he tries to help. And I got into... Uh, all kinds of service work. First I was on with, with teleservice, remember teleservice? And then I was going on 12-step calls, and I was doing pretty good there for a while. And then one night I was in the closed meeting, some old-timers got me off the... He said, we want you to go on a 12-step call, Ted. This guy's... He's going, going in the DTs or something. So I went without anybody else. You're supposed to... <laughs> You're supposed to take someone and want to go with you. Uh, anyway, I got out there and he was uh, he was starting into the DTs and he hadn't had a drink in a few days, but he was in really bad shape. I not only felt sorry for him, I felt like I needed a drink. So I told him, I said, I'll go get you a bottle if you think you need one. He said, that's a good idea. So the clutch of the whole evening is uh, he ended up calling AA on me, the 12-stepper. That's a true story. Looking on, back on all my worst drinking years in the 60s and the late 60s, it's easy to uh, think that the, the whole world was drunk. Everybody I knew was drunk. Even my wife was drunk. She used to try to <laughs> drink with me, and I won't tell them. But I mean, I was starting to I was starting to tear her down. She's more married to this poor drunkard Jed, and she's just trying to help. And anyway, somehow after one last vendor in 1971, I think I bought David's rental car and I got home and 
morning I woke up, I was in pretty bad shape myself, and I decided I was going to quit AA. I, I told Betty, I says, uh, I'm one of those that AA just don't work. I can't get sober. I can't stay sober, and I'm getting tired of going back. But she talked me into going back one more last time. And, uh, so, that one took hold. So through God's prevenient grace, the help of some good sponsors, the guidance of God, angels, many of them, I stayed sober, day at a time. And for the next 22 years, I, I struggled through, uh, I had some rough years in sobriety, but I, we had moved to Reedley, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I got a little bit away from AA for a while, but I was still sober. I'd just like to say that you newcomers, it's important that you admit your faults to God and to your fellow brothers in your meetings. Do your fourth and fifth steps. Clear away the wreckage of your own past. You don't have to clear away the wreckage of your wife. And give freely of what you have, what you have. You shouldn't have something after 22 years of sobriety. And I always had encouragement from my wife and my buddies in AA and my sponsors. And I had a long, nice journey in recovery. The AA conventions, like I've already talked about, and uh, we were having a good time. We actually went to the international convention in Denver. I can't remember the year now. Uh, with my sponsor and his wife. And my son Michael came down with HIV in uh, 1987. Full blown AIDS by 1993, and he died in 1995. But I was talking to my neighbor, Sam, and I told him I believe in God. He was asking me about all this. I said, I believe God brought me to AA and kept me sober all these 22 years at that time. This was 1993 or better. I said, God directed me. I believe in God. I said, God directed me to AA. He says, But, Ted, he says, Are you a Christian? And I said, No. I never could quite get all that, and I struggled with it all my life, and uh, I don't believe I'm a Christian. So what did he do? He asked us to pay and I to his Bible study. He lived next door. Sam becomes my angel number five. I'm trying to number all these angels, but I think I got lost there once. I was taking my walk one morning and I, I said a prayer to God, to my higher power, that uh, I wish I could believe. I wanted to believe like my wife and my, my sponsors, Larry and Tommy and, and my wife Betty, I wanted to, I wanted to believe, and I asked for his help, and he always answers prayers like that, and he answered that prayer, and uh, Betty and I started the church shortly after that, 
We joined the Fowler Church, uh, I guess it was 1996 or something like that. I can't and we became active members, and we're still active members in the church. I still go to AA. Uh, then we got invited to something called Walk to Emmaus. It's a Christian discipleship program, discipleship renewal program. And I've enjoyed 10 years that both of us have that program. And from that program, I got introduced to a, uh, a prison ministry through a mass, and I go into the prison and, and give my pitch to the guys in there, and they all they all love me. That's another thing. When you get sober, everybody loves you. Nobody liked me even when I was drunk. Kept Betty. That the little Bill, he. Him and I go into prison together. He was supposed to come with me tonight, but he didn't cancel out right at the last minute. I might say something at this point. When Bill Wilson is in the midst of the depression, and it's getting towards the end, I think, and he'd come out of a uh, hostel. He'd lost everything. He had been a stockbroker. He went into a hotel lobby where there was a bar and he wanted to take a drink. And I don't remember how long he'd been sober, but it had been a while. He didn't turn to a church, but he sought out another alcoholic. This was in the beginning of AA. What happened? They all stayed sober, him and his buddy. So I must never forget where God put me in the beginning. The early days of AA. And it's great when you're physically healed, clean of breath, and sober of mind. And finally I'm socially acceptable again. And we need to all give thanks to our compassionate God and to keep the channels open for Him. Above all, be willing to grow along spiritual lines. Took me 20 some years. And so, what I'm like today is totally different than what I was 39 years ago, or even 10 years ago. It matters not what we do or how much we suffer, as long as we abide by God's will, not our will, but God's will. That's my whole business today, God's will. We must distrust our own strength and commit ourselves to his safekeeping. You turn it over to win. That's the way you're going to win this thing. We need the continual help and the grace of God. The journey has been big for me these 39 years and some really important things have happened, but it's getting late here. I've lived a long time sober and it has given my God a real chance to use me in a lot of different ways. Some friends and I met and walked to Emmaus. They wanted to go to Ireland on a missionary trip. And then I, so I prayed about it a little bit and I thought, shit, I can't go to 
Ireland. Where am I going to get money to go to Ireland? Where are they going to get money to go to Ireland? They didn't have any money either. I prayed about it some more, but figured I could never afford to go. And uh, one day I'm on a weekend. I was working a mess weekend. I was sitting on the can, you know, the toilet, taking a dump. Some guy comes in and he hollers over the, you know, the little scoop thing there. He says, Ted, don't leave before I talk to you. So I come out of there and we were washing our hands together and then we hugged and he hands me five hundred one hundred bills. I'm not going to tell you his name because I think he lives in this area. And I got on my cell phone and I called Betty and said, something up, handed me $500 and wants me to take it to Ireland. I said, uh, I think God wants me to go to Ireland. I said, come down here and get this money. I don't trust these people in a minute. Somebody will roll me. And uh, so she did and... Uh, Anyway, to make a long story short, we did go to Ireland. We, we served over there at a, a church called the Dining Group Church, and we gave our testimonies. There was four of us. And uh, we went to the prayer meeting the next day. These people were 300 strong Christians that had been drug off the streets in Cork City. They were prostitutes, black heroin addicts, and alcoholics. Lost sheep. That impressed me pretty good. And I felt right at home. You know, it was like sitting there looking at you guys, because they were like me. And I guess they'd go out and minister in the streets to people and play music, you know, and sing hymns. We don't sing hymns in AA, but the bill is here, we probably would. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, then we went to uh, a thing called Teen Challenge. You guys heard of that? It's uh, a Nikki Cruz started it years ago. And anyway, it's international now. And we went to this Teen Challenge home for girls, and we were there two days. They washed all our clothes and dried them, shrunk all my clothes. And then uh, Bill and Stan and his wife, they played music, and they actually bought them a guitar because they didn't have a guitar in this home. And uh, we worshiped with them for a couple of days, and then I gave my, my pitch there, and uh, we were standing in the doorway. I can't even tell you. And all the tears running down their face. And I knew at that moment that uh, my God had sent me there. Anyway, I gotta wind this up because Bill's getting nervous. So anyway, that, that's about it. I Ireland was great. Sometimes the call doesn't come in one full swoop. You need to discern it, work it, work through it, pray about it. We must entertain possibilities. Be open to surprise. God surprises. That mission trip to Ireland seemed small to me at first, but at the end it was big.
closing, it's been a very long, satisfying journey for me, especially sober. And it's especially awesome as you started out as a nobody like me, sleeping on rooftops and rolled up in newspapers and doorways. We are who are just a little bit off balance, our alcohol. We learn in double quick time. We need help. It's God or nothing for most of us. We are the lost sheep, and He came to find us. You and I. And much is expected from those that much is given. That's me. in my opinion is after you look into your own heart you need to look into the heart of all your buddies and what you'll find is slave traders like like Newton became a liberator and killers that become peacemakers who will take our place with all the nobility all of them Today I can dine and share my story with all of them, even corporate executives, or those that are locked up, doing maybe life in prison, or some terrible crimes, but you can see the heart, and you can see God at work. So let us with God's help, learn to live as long as we can so we can be set free. It's easy enough if you stick to these, this program. Twelve steps. We're all different, I realize that. We come from different childhoods and different historical pasts, but I guess I've been guided and taught through AA. I spent most of my life in AA. Small group studies, my faith, my church, walk to a mass, the prison ministry, and my Ireland experience. And I don't know, they could probably tell you of a half a dozen experiences that we've had and been blessed by. The most important is, is to love God. It's the lost day when you, you don't love God. I feel he was really with us here tonight, and I appreciate Bill asking me to come down here. I can't help this crying business. It's getting worse the older I get, the worse it gets. And I hope my story, especially the part of coming to my Christian faith, didn't overwhelm some of you. I wasn't a believer when I got here. Our founding father, Bill W., studied religions deeply. He, he, he decided not to align himself with any denomination, but he did realize, I've read that he did realize that there was many amongst us that did find churches. Our founder, Bill, died in Miami the year I got sober. We are directed to AA for a purpose. I believe that. Not just to get sober, but to carry the message. 
And I found many not mentioned tonight. I couldn't tell about all my angels. A lot of them are already up there in heaven, but my sponsors, Tommy and Larry and Max, uh, I had an ex-brother-in-law that saved me from going to prison. He stood up in court and had for me as a character witness when I wasn't when I wasn't a good character. I thank all of them, especially God and our King. God bless all of you. That's it. I got down two more.